This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Strap yourself in. You're about to leave everything you thought you knew behind. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and uh, she has a brand new book out. It's called Fate Presents Planet Bigfoot. So when did the first articles having to do with Bigfoot appear? Uh, The earliest that I could find um, went back to the 1950s, and they were references mostly to abominable snowmen and yeti. And uh, the the whole North America Bigfoot phenomenon hadn't really broken open yet. Not that it didn't exist, it just hadn't broken open to public awareness. So the early articles dealt with, you know, are there really such things as abominable snowmen and uh, probing into the history of hairy wild men. Uh, you know, there's documentation going back centuries uh, in Europe and in England uh, about large, hairy uh, wild men that um, could be found out in the wilderness. Um, some of the descriptions of them are, are kind of like Sasquatch, but then a lot of them just seem like, you know, hairy hominids, you know, human beings. Um, but in, in the 1950s, that all changed. And in fact, uh, some of the fate writers actually pinpointed the birth of, of Bigfoot or North American Bigfoot um, uh, to uh, 1958 in California. Now, this, this uh, occurred at um, a logging site in uh, California, uh, and some huge footprints were found um, in the area, and it um, spooked a lot of people, I mean, a lot of the workers. And since um, it was not unusual for uh, rookies to have jokes played on them, uh, some, some of it was just passed off to jokes, but these were like enormous human-like footprints that were far bigger than anything a person could make. And plaster casts were made of them. Uh, This lumber company was owned by a man named Ray Wallace, and he winds up being a very pivotal figure in the early development of Bigfoot awareness. Uh, So this hits the paper, and it becomes a media sensation. What's making these giant footprints? And so what starts coming to light then are stories from the Native Americans about Sasquatch, you know, these large ape-like intelligent beings that have been on the planet before us, and they're kind of our elders and looking after the planet. Uh, And uh, interest starts. So from the 1960s then, fake coverage starts to pick up uh, because uh, of the increase in attention. Now, the next big development that we have is the 1967 um, Patterson-Gimlin film. Right, um, right. And that was actually in the same area as uh, Wallace's lumber camp. 
Um, and uh, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin allegedly uh, took, uh, Patterson did, his friend Gimlin was with him, of a female Bigfoot striding through the woods. There is no other film that has been more examined and dissected except for the Kennedy assassination Zapruder film. Right, right. Uh, it has been intensely scrutinized. Now, uh, Patterson was out on horseback. He was literally hunting Bigfoot. Um, he needed money, and he's got his camera, and lo and behold, he lucks out and manages to catch this large ape-like creature. It was obviously female because it had breasts, uh, striding uh, through the woods. It's a very short clip. Um, it becomes a sensation. And, of course, it's debunked, it's upheld. Uh, the film was has been analyzed by animal experts, anthropologists, uh, people who look at the gate. You know, could this possibly be a person in a big bulky costume? Could a person imitate this kind of gait and stride? Uh, and the jury, frankly, is still out. And what do you think? Um, I, I'm on the fence about it, uh, Richard. Um, and one of the things that puzzles me uh, now in, in some of the articles in this anthology in Planet Bigfoot, uh, there's a detailed examination of uh, how this thing had to move and at what angle and behind and in front of what trees. Uh, and could this have really happened the way it, it looked? Um, but one of the things that was pointed out was while this creature is striding away from Patterson, uh, while it is still walking, it turns and looks at him. And it has been pointed out by anthropologists that no animal will do this. Uh, not even people do this, uh, at least very often. If you are trying to get away from something, you keep your eyes ahead of you. And if you want to look back, you stop and look back. And so that kind of puzzles me hmm. uh, why... Why would that be the case here? Also, the the rest of the creature are covered in hair, and uh, anthropologists have pointed out that hominids, uh, female hominids, do not have hairy breasts. So uh, there were stories over the years, you know, people came forward and said, oh, it was me in a Bigfoot suit, I did it. The suit was made by a guy in Hollywood. Uh, it was all a big hoax. Um, all they wanted was money. Well, Patterson and Gimlin never really made a whole lot of money off this film, and I don't like that argument anyway. That's one of the first things skeptics say is, oh, you're just in it for the money. Well, usually not, uh, unless you're really trying to pull off some really clever hoax. Uh, but to this day, um, there are, the, the camp is divided on whether or not this is a genuine film, and nothing like it has ever been shot that comes close. We've had lots of photographs, lots of very short videos, usually of figures in the distance, very hard to make out, difficult to determine the size and the shape. To date, the best evidence we still have are eyewitness testimonies. Uh, hair samples have been collected, um, inconclusive, uh, at best, uh, the analysis comes back, no known uh, primate or mammal, uh, doesn't mean it's Sasquatch, doesn't mean it's not, uh, but um, 
it was the the Patterson Gimlin film which really ignited a lot of research then, and uh, so we have quite a well developed field uh, today of uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot researchers. Some people prefer Sasquatch, some people prefer Bigfoot. Um, trying to collect evidence, uh, there were accounts going back to colonial times of people seeing these creatures in the woods. Daniel Boone called them yowies, and he even claimed to have shot one. Uh, there are other claims from uh, colonial and frontier times of people shooting and killing these creatures, but there's never been any evidence of a photograph or a body or, or bones or anything. So um, we don't know how to how to take these stories. To date, no one has ever captured one, and we don't have any uh, conclusive remains. Um, the interesting things about Sasquatch is that... Um, and this is my opinion, too. I don't think it's a flesh-and-blood creature. Uh, and here again, we have a divided camp among researchers where um, some people say, look, it's, uh, it's an Earth species um, just out in the wilderness and wasn't very, very well known or discovered, um, but it's a flesh-and-blood Earth animal. Uh, and other people who say, no, it's an intelligent a creature that lives in another realm and has the capability of interdimensionality and has a connection to UFOs. It is interesting that there are many cases of Bigfoot sightings that are also tied to UFO activity. Yes, yes. There's a, there's a great article in the book uh, in, in the book that you've compiled, Planet Bigfoot, by, of course, the great John Keel. That's right. And then um, one of the leading uh, proponents of that argument, Kiwoni Lapsoritis, also talks about that, about the uh, ET connection, and that the Sasquatch say that they are related to the star people and that they were seated here to, to help look after the planet. Uh, the Native Americans have many, many stories about these creatures. Uh, some of them are described as ho hostile and aggressive, and some as benevolent and friendly. Uh, and I think a lot of the current evidence points to interdimensionality. We have so many cases of Bigfoot appearing and disappearing suddenly. Tracks that start in the middle of nowhere and stop, uh, like something got dropped from a helicopter and then picked up. Uh, telepathic communication. People have encountered uh, these creatures spontaneously and have had uh, what they say is intelligent telepathic communication with them. Um, there are uh, um, researchers who have developed um, the what I would call the rudiments of Sasquatch language. Uh, uh, I did want I did want to I wanted to pick up on that actually because there's a interesting article from uh, good friend Micah Hanks who's just one of the the sweetest human beings alive and um, I want to uh, take a quick time out when we come back we'll talk about. Uh, Bigfoot language. Rosemary Ellen Guiley has edited and compiled a, magnif a magnificent book. It's called Planet Bigfoot. Fate presents Planet Bigfoot. And we'll get to that discussion when we come back right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. It is time to redefine reality. 
The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Fate Presents Planet Bigfoot, edited and compiled by Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Now, uh, just as a reminder, uh, Rosemary, how far back does uh, Fate Magazine goes? Didn't it recently celebrate a big, big anniversary? Um, yes, it did. Uh, Fate started in 1948, and so, uh, let's see, we've been around, what, a little over 60 years now. Uh, A few years ago, we had our 700th issue anniversary. Uh, 70 years. Just past 70 years. 70. Wow. And we were talking about uh, Bigfoot language, and uh, Micah Hanks uh, has contributed a piece uh, to Fate magazine, uh, asking that very question, and so what are the uh, what are the findings? Uh, well, uh, individuals who've had encounters with these creatures. Now, many of them, as I mentioned in the last segment, uh, talk about telepathic communication, but they also have heard oral communication, especially if they've been around more than one of these creatures. There was a famous case from the twenties, Albert Ostman, who uh, was. Um, a miner and said he was uh, kidnapped by Bigfoot and carted off to uh, one of their uh, their own encampments, and that he heard a lot of oral communication uh, between them, and uh, he eventually was able to uh, to to get away. Um, there was another researcher by the name of Burns um, who uh, studied sounds. Um, this was also going back to the 1920s, uh, studied sounds and talked to um, Native Americans about uh, the Sasquatch. And he came to the conclusion that um, they speak in what is referred to as something called the Douglas dialect. And uh, it's uh, a reference to the Salish Indians uh, that live uh, out in the Pacific Northwest and uh, they have different dialects, and uh, that the Sasquatch uh, dialect sounds very similar to uh, to one of their uh, speech patterns. Now, there's another researcher by the name of Ron Moorhead who has spent, uh, oh, at least a couple decades now uh, researching Sasquatch in the Sierra Nevadas, mm-hmm. and he has collected a lot of Bigfoot sounds. And he he says that he has pieced together what he feels are at least the foundation of a Bigfoot language. Uh, no one has learned how to speak Sasquatch yet, however. But it, you know, it makes sense. Uh, and I do believe that these these uh, these these are beings. They're not animals or creatures or monsters. They're beings, and they are intelligent. Uh, they have their uh, own modes of communication. Uh, in many respects, they're superior to us because they've mastered paraphysical phenomena that we can't do. There's no animal on Earth that can disappear and reappear in an instant um, uh, and uh, bilocate uh, very quickly. People talk about that, that they encounter a, a Bigfoot and one minute it's here and the next second it's uh, behind them or relocated uh, off to the side. Um they are also purported to have healing capabilities uh, as well. People say they've been healed by Bigfoot. And this is evidence that gets harder and harder to ignore. Uh, and um, I, I think that researchers have to 
put it on the table. Whether whether or not you still think that it's a flesh and blood creature, you have to consider all of this uh, eyewitness anecdotal evidence uh, from uh, many disparate sources uh, that confirms the same characteristics. We're not dealing with something uh, of this earth. I, I believe that Bigfoot lives in a parallel world to earth, uh, most of the time, and that it has the capability to come into our world. It seems to like to forage around for uh, a lot of food on this side. Um, by and large, they prefer to avoid people because they consider human beings to be violent and hostile. Uh, some of them have acted out aggressively uh, toward human beings, and uh, others not. They're more curious than anything else. When we uh, come back, we'll uh, we'll talk about... Uh, Bigfoot sightings uh, elsewhere, aside from North America. For example, uh, Nick Redfern will check in with an article uh, in search of the British uh, Bigfoot. We'll do that when we come back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com, the website. And the new book is Fate Presents Planet Bigfoot. More of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusion. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. And we are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And uh, the book is Planet Bigfoot. Fate presents Planet Bigfoot. Why Planet Bigfoot? Uh, Because Bigfoot is everywhere. Uh, you know, in earlier times, like I mentioned, Fate's early coverage was on the abominable snowman. It was thought that, well, they're all over there in Eurasia, all these creatures. Uh, and then we start discovering that, uh, well, Bigfoot's in California, Bigfoot's in the Northwest. Uh, oh, guess what? It's in Eastern uh, America, too. It's in Canada. In fact, um, Bigfoot has been reported all over the world, including South America. And I have an article from Scott Corrales about that in Planet Bigfoot. And uh, also the British Isles. Nick Redfern writes about this. Uh, so hard to imagine, you know, a, a, an eight foot, nine foot bipedal hairy creature uh, in, in merry old England. But there you go. What does Nick have to say about it? There you go. The oldest account on record is 800 years old, uh, and they called it a wild man, um, and it was captured on the east coast of England, <clears throat> and it was described as naked uh, and uh, like a man, but covered with hair, had a long, shaggy beard, and um, he he would only eat raw food, um, and... They they finally let him go. Uh, They couldn't get anything out of him, you know, in terms of information. And uh, he eventually came back on his own free will and then escaped again and was never seen. Now, these sorts of hairy wild men have been reported throughout Europe as well. Uh, But here we have an 800-year-old account uh, from England. And then there are accounts in the 19th century in England where uh, people out riding at night uh, came across um, these huge, uh, shaggy, man-like things that looked like one was described as half man, half monkey, had large glowing eyes, um, uh, attacked a man on horseback, 
uh, and uh, he was able to fend it off with his whip. Uh, but he said the whip passed straight through its body. Now, that's an, another characteristic that uh, people report about Bigfoot. Next up on the, uh, the docket is Waverly Hills. Tell us about Waverly Hills. I, I think that it's a possible explanation. I, I don't think that uh, so many people vanish for no reason at all. Tell me a little bit about uh, Bigfoot hunter John Green. Well, John Green was a Canadian, and he was one of the most respected uh, Bigfoot um, researchers. And he collected over 3,000 cases uh, in the course of his life. Uh, And that reminds me, I do want to get back to uh, Ray Wallace, too, before we wrap up the show. And, um, you know, he was of the opinion that Bigfoot was real, and... um, he, when uh, when he was interviewed for Fate magazine, uh, he was hopeful that we would have conclusive evidence uh, within the next few decades. But um, he's passed away now, and we still don't have conclusive evidence. But uh, he collected a lot of casts of uh, he examined a lot of plaster casts of, of uh, big big feet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he was known as Mister Bigfoot. Um, and I know we're kind of short on time here. I just wanted to mention Ray Wallace, yes. who I mentioned at the beginning, as uh, some people say he's the guy who started it all. Well, Ray Wallace wound up being quite a hoaxer. And uh, here again we have very blurry lines about what's real and what's not. Um, did Ray Wallace hoax the initial foot, big footprints, or did he just start hoaxing after um, Bigfoot mania started? Um, he confessed later on in his life that he had dozens of pairs of uh, big footprints that he would go out and leave in the wilderness to trick uh, researchers, um, that he had um, costumes made, big hairy uh, ape-like costumes made, uh, and he seemed to be quite proud of that. But did, uh, did a genuine phenomenon start? Was was the phenomenon originally genuine, and he just jumped in and decided to mix it up a bit? Um, we find this a lot in the paranormal, where um, researchers are on both sides of the fence. They're part of something that seems to be real, and then they're part of uh, trickery on the other side. Right. We saw that with crop circles. It certainly did. How do folks get a copy of Fate Presents Planet Bigfoot? It's available now on Amazon in print. The ebook is coming. That's the best place to get it. Well, congratulations. Uh, what's coming up next from Fate Presents? Do we know? Uh, I haven't decided yet. Um, I, I'm looking at another UFO collection, maybe ancient aliens and astronauts or um, conspiracies. Um, so much material because fate devoted more attention to UFOs than any other topic. Well, just keep them coming. These are fantastic. This whole series of Fate Presents. Rosemary, always a delight. We'll talk next month. 
Thank you, Richard. Always a pleasure. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com. All right, that's it for us. My thanks to Owen Wolf and a live stream producer, Ryan White. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I say in the dark, speak in the light, which you hear in a whisper. Proclaim from the rooftops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We're back with Sloan Bella. We were talking about you you were channeling the late Chris Cornell and mm-hmm. uh, uh, a friend came to you to ask what happened. Supposedly, this was a suicide, right? Right. Well, that's what they said. Sure. They said he, uh, you know, killed himself like he, he sent his bandmates on to the next tour city. Well, he stayed back in the hotel. I believe it was Michigan or Detroit or somewhere around there, East Coast, and decided to hang himself with his exercise band in his hotel room because, you know, that's what we all do at age 53 when we've gotten over all of those demons in our life, which, by the way, is completely not true. What he showed me is that he was ambushed and tricked, and he said something really interesting to me. Now, I don't follow much of the band or what was doing or the tributes or any of that. I really didn't follow it because I just don't – I try really hard not to follow that. But he showed me like a big picture of himself playing a guitar. This is what was coming to my mind. And I actually was channeling it while the video was on. So that's what I was actually doing at the time. And he's showing me – and I wanted to use the word eulogize. And he said, look at who eulogizes me. That's who ambushed me. So I had no idea what he was talking about, whether it was at the funeral or it was an event. And I came to the conclusion it was an an event. Well, I got like at least, I'm not kidding you, probably 65 emails from people that knew him, knew the band, mentioned who they thought it was. And you can watch the video and you'll see the description I left. But they mentioned it was a fellow band member. So it was really interesting because he kept saying they're going to speak about me like this and they're going to eulogize me and my pictures behind them. And they're crying. Then he proceeded to show me all kinds of things about the map that he found. The 15 people, there was a third band musician. There was this third musician, um, an African-American man over there, been dead a while him and I didn't even know who it was and he kept laughing at me in my head I was like I should know who this is but I really don't know who it is and he showed me Chris Cornell showed me they marked something on his hand he had the mark of something on his hands like like in the movies where Jesus has the you know the the nails through his hands right he was showing me a mark on his hands and I couldn't see it and he stood above a map and he showed me the map Princess Diana showed me the map Chester Bennington stepped right up and said, if you think I killed myself, you're out of your mind if you think I killed myself. And he showed me that he didn't, he showed me that they actually stunned him, stunned him, electrically stunned him. He did not kill himself. He's so vocal and he was directly in your face, like in your face. Chester Bennington did not, did not, did not kill himself. He was not suicidal. He would have never done that. He can't believe it, and he's angry. Chris is sad. So it's two different energies, but they both coming to the same conclusion. And the last time that I was focused for one of Chester's sister's friends who called me for a reading, 
after the memorial, I want to say it was in Arizona. I can't remember where, but wherever it was where everybody went, she called me and she wanted a reading. And then, you know, she's the go between between the sister and everything. And it was interesting because Chester is so angry that people think he killed himself. That's not who he was. Absolutely not who he was. Not at all. And he did show me some, I haven't done this video yet, but he showed me a connection to a musician in Europe. And he showed me, meaning who was responsible and connected to why he passed away. He too stood behind the man, the dark, the dark skinned man with tons of dark skinned children. Like this meaning maybe Native American, Haitian, Indian from India. I don't know where these kids were from, but they were all dead. In, how they show me is they flashed through my mind and they stood in rows of 15 and they stood behind the African-American man, if he is indeed American. People were telling me who it was, but I can't even remember who they said because I got somebody's like, oh, it's Bob Marley, but it didn't look like Bob Marley. I know Bob Marley um, did not look like him. But these kids stood in rows 40 deep and they stood behind the black man, the, the African-American man with a barbecue. And I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. And then there was the map and 15 men stood at points of the map. Chester was one and Chris was the other. And there were other people through the map. Princess Diana showed me the map. I don't but I don't know what was on her map. And she showed me a map having to do with the Earth's energy field and the the. The, like the Earth's um, electric magnetic field and the energy that we get from the Earth. So hers was more ecology-based, maybe. And then Chester and Chris were literally pointing to places on a map, which scared me to death when I found out about because because it looked like these dark-skinned babies. And then and then look what happened in December. Do you remember John of God? Did you hear about that? Uh, no, I mean I know of I know who John of God uh, is. Uh, yes, J- John of God that was the supposed energy healer down in South America, in Brazil, Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay, he's in jail as of January seventeenth, and I channeled these two before it, and they kept showing me the dark skinned kids. He has been taking in underaged runaways and breeding them. I don't know who he breeds them with and selling the babies. These babies have no birth certificate. He's in jail for that right now. He's not been convicted, but this is what he's been accused of. There's like 600 counts and he's been in jail since. But but nonetheless, after I saw these brown, darker skinned children stand behind the musicians in rows of 15, 40 deep, suddenly John of God gets busted. These kids and these kids were smiling and they were at the barbecue. That's all I could tell you. And I have, I really don't know what that So these meant. were the victims. Not. These were the victims. Yes. I think that's what I was seeing. Only I didn't know it because I that hadn't even happened yet when I did the video. Right. But John of God, apparently hundreds and thousands of like he had hundreds of women being bred and he'd keep them for 10 years while they pushed kids out, sell the kids over um, Europe, North America in South America, wherever, you know, or the continents. And these babies were just sold for money. So we don't even know these babies exist. They did not go through the government registry. They were not, only the mothers know. Oh, dear Lord. Is, so, and then, so oh, Cornell, so just let yeah, me just, uh, yeah, sorry, square the circle here. So Cornell and Bennington, you're saying, because the first word that came to your mind when you heard of okay. Cornell was pedophile, not that he yeah. was, but he was investigating no. this. And yes. so was Cornell. And so was Mac Miller. Yes, yes, they're all doing it. Yeah, Chester showed up with Mac Miller in my last time, last, last um, channeling with him. He had his arm around Mac Miller, which was really when I was talking to Chester's sister's friend. That's 
when I was doing the reading for her, that's what came up. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, it was just weird. He was almost in a protective way, like a fatherly way or like a am taking care of him kind of way. Now, it's interesting because Mac Miller, I think, could have been given a hot shot of drugs. I'm going to go that way with him. I think they probably did give him a hot shot. So I think that there was more than one reason people wanted him dead. Not just people who he could turn in for pedophilia, but keep in mind, once look, look at the history of music. Look at Jerry Lee Lewis and his cousin. Look at Elvis and 14-year-old Priscilla. Somehow it's ingrained in certain people that this is what they do. And, and in Hollywood and in the music industry, they believe, because again, I believe it to be old like Babylonian Babylonian worship, um, you know, God, everybody's their own God kind of thing. But they believe that they get power through these certain ritualistic acts. Satanic does the same thing. It's through through abuse of children, through sexual abuse of children. Look at little Britney Spears right now. I'm telling you that girl is going to end up dead and they're going to say she killed herself. And I'm going to tell you she didn't kill herself. You heard that here. She did not kill herself when it comes up because they're trying there. She won't She's not falling in line now for being brain controlled. She's well, she had that breakdown. She had a breakdown earlier. And and, yes. and that was because she tried to get off the farm, you're saying, basically. Basically. That's right. She's turning. And Britney Spears said an article, uh, wrote in an article, spoke in an article, somebody wrote about her, that she didn't want the devil or Satan to get her children and that she was reading them the Bible every night so that she hoped she would go to God and be forgiven for what she's done. Those were her words, and I'm going to find that article. So she was afraid that her children were going to be hurt because of her choices. That's actually what she was saying. So she was reading, and then suddenly she's look at she's whisked off to a mental hospital. Look at Amanda Baines. Look at that. Same thing. I mean, same thing. These kids are brutalized in their homes growing up because that is part of the ritual. You brutalize. That's what you do to gain your power, and then you control them. It's a very dark place. Uh, It's very dark. You need to be very, very, very careful. How do people get a hold of you? Oh, my gosh. You can go to SloanBella.com, or you can go to SloanBella on the YouTube channel. I mean, you can go through there, but my website, SloanBella.com, and thank you for asking. Okay, Sloan, thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Planet Bigfoot, when The Conspiracy Show continues. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM here in Toronto. Hi to those of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Those of you who stream this program at zoomerradio.ca and those of you streaming us on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. A quick programming note, we are not live streaming tonight on YouTube, nor will we be live streaming next week. 
But again, these programs will find their way up to the YouTube channel shortly after they air live. And again, the YouTube channel is Strange Planet. Hit that red sub button. We're trying to get to 20,000. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is a best-selling author, researcher, and investigator in the paranormal, metaphysical, and related fields. She joins us the second Sunday of every month, and she's here for the hour. To add to her list of must-see paranormal locations across the United States and to talk Bigfoot. She's compiled and edited a collection of articles about Bigfoot from legendary Fate magazine. It's called Fate Presents Planet Bigfoot. Hey, Rosemary, how are you? Well, I'm doing well, Richard. Uh, It's been a busy spring, and I just launched a brand new book, Planet Bigfoot, which we'll be talking about tonight. Very excited about that. Me too. But we have some unfinished business before we get to Planet Bigfoot. Last month, you were kind enough uh, to put together uh, a paranormal road trip, the top six haunted locations across the continental United States. And last month, we talked about... Salem, of course, Salem, Massachusetts. We talked about the Lemp Mansion, and we talked about uh, Gettysburg. Uh, so next up on the uh, the docket is Waverly Hills. Tell us about Waverly Hills. It's in Louisville, Kentucky, and definitely if you're in the vicinity, you should not pass up an opportunity to go because it is incredibly haunted. I've investigated at the Waverly Hills Sanatorium five times, and I have never been disappointed. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky was uh, badly hit by a tuberculosis epidemic in the late 19th and early 20th century. And to handle the thousands of victims, uh, officials wanted to get the sick people out of the city area. They built this large sanatorium up on top of a hill outside of the city, and uh, it was known as Waverly Hills. And uh, thousands of people were treated there, most of whom sadly died, because uh, they had no antibiotics back then, and about all that could be done for people was rest and nutrition and sometimes really weird procedures. They had strange operations back then that were more harmful than helpful. For example, one was uh, ripping open the chest cavity and pulling the lungs out a little bit to see if they could breathe more easily. Oh, good Lord. But uh, at any rate, you can imagine that the sanatorium was the scene of tremendous suffering for a good number of years. And, in fact, uh, at the height of the epidemic, people were dying at such uh, a high rate that um, officials didn't want bodies stacking up and and, uh, hearses coming and going uh, all the time, uh, which would be upsetting to patients and visitors. So they constructed a tunnel through the hill and uh, put a little kind of railroad track on it and and put the bodies in these little cars uh, and shot them down the body chute, which is now called the death tunnel, uh, to a backside of the sanatorium where the hearses could come and collect them. Um, Well, the epidemic finally subsided uh, with the advent of antibiotics in the 1930s, and uh, eventually the sanatorium was closed and it became a geriatric center, um, a place where there was horrible abuse of the elderly. That was shut down. Um, 
It passed into private ownership, this huge facility. Now, get the, I, I have to tell this history of the place because it's so colorful and it really ties into a lot of the hauntings. Uh, this man wanted to tear down every single building and put up a shopping center and the world's largest statue of Jesus. Oh, Lord. Literally. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> and he was able to tear down all the buildings except the main one, which was by then a historic site and protected. He tried to get it condemned. He let it go to ruin. Um, the city still would not condemn it. He finally uh, abandoned it, and it um, eventually passed on to other private ownership, and that's where it is today. So um, Waverly Hills has been restored a bit, but a lot of it is still in ruins in its original uh, condition, and uh, it is loaded with phenomena. Uh, there are apparitions, a lot of it's residual haunting apparitions of patients, visitors, staff. Um, people have seen like doctors and nurses and orderlies uh, looking like they're still going about their business. People have heard uh, um, disembodied voices of patients crying for help. Um, there are phantom animals. Uh, two two deaths took place there. A nurse committed suicide on the fifth floor after she discovered she was pregnant, and another nurse threw herself out the window of the fifth floor. And uh, there are children ghosts, uh, adult ghosts, uh, and if you go and investigate, uh, and there are there are public ghost tours organized all the time for Waverly, so you can join one. Uh, you you are likely to have a very interesting evening. Now, one of the things that Waverly Hills is especially famous for is shadow people. Uh, these are dark, kind of unknown entities that lurk around heavily haunted or really polluted places, that is, places where there's been a lot of unhappiness and tragedy. And the first time I went to Waverly and saw shadow people going uh, up and down these long corridors and in and out of doorways, I was shocked. I was absolutely riveted. Um, the staff has many stories to tell about these figures uh, coming very close to people. Uh, when they close up at night, somebody has to go through the whole building by themselves and make sure that nobody's there and uh, the shadow people will follow them. People have gotten a lot of EVPs, photographic evidence, um, one of the more interesting experiences I had there was um, there is a morgue, of course, um, and uh, some of the original body racks in the morgue. And a staff person told me that uh, if a person laid in one of the body racks and was pushed in, uh, you would have some interesting experiences. So I did that. Oh, man. You're, you're yeah, brave. You are brave. I, I think I was crazy. Uh, but at any rate... Um, Almost immediately, I was overwhelmed with the sensation of patients who are still there. Like, I, I think there are a lot of earthbound still at Waverly. Right, uh, right. People who died tragic deaths and didn't or couldn't move on. And they were asking for help. And I could see psychically out in front of me this line of people just going off down the corridor, people who wanted help. Please help me. Please help me. And uh, when when I got pulled out, I was with a group at that time, and we immediately did a prayer circle. 
Um, and we said, you know, it was just too overwhelming to deal with each one individually, but uh, we, we did do prayers for all of those who are still at Waverly and are seeking uh, peace and uh, getting to the light. Uh, so uh, Waverly has had some restoration done to it, and some people feel that that's disturbed some of the hauntings. Sometimes restoration does that. But there's still plenty there. It's a five-story building. Um, it's got huge, long corridors. And most of these are open air because uh, it was the philosophy that um, patients needed to be wheeled out into the fresh air. And so a lot of the activity uh, that people see with the apparitions and the shadow people are up and down these long corridors with apparitions and the uh, black shapes moving back and forth across the hallways. Is it better to go at night or during the day? Well, you can take a tour during the day, but if you really want the action, sign up for one of the nighttime tours. There are groups that will reserve it for their own private investigations, and then Waverly Hills also runs its uh, its own uh, ghost uh, investigations as well. So do an overnight. Wow. Waverly Hills. That sounds like a, a must stop on our paranormal road trip. Rosemary Ellen Guiley with us. She joins us once a month. And her website, visionaryliving.com, visionaryliving.com. Next on the Paranormal Road Trip uh, is Winchester Mystery House, Winchester Mystery House. And this is a really bizarre place with a very strange history, and it's also full of residual um, uh, hauntings and phantoms as well. And it's tied to the Winchester Rifle company and family. Um, the house was owned by Sarah Winchester, who was the widow of William Winchester. He was the man who invented the repeating rifle that was used during the Civil War. And uh, they were living in New Haven, Connecticut, had a fine life, lots of money. Uh, and William and their little baby daughter, Annie, took ill with tuberculosis and died. And, of course, Sarah was heartbroken. She had always believed in the occult, so she started turning to mediums to see if someone could contact William for her. And finally, she found one who did. And what William told her was that um, all, uh, all of the spirits of the people who had been killed by the Winchester rifle were angry and that they had taken their revenge on William and Annie, and Sarah would be cursed too unless she made amends. And uh, he said, you have to um, move um, out of New Haven and go west and um, start building a house that never ends. Uh, now, this sounds like a very strange way to make amends, but that's exactly what Sarah did. She uh, sold the house. And she moved out to California, to the Bay Area, and she found um, in the Santa Clara Valley a nice little um, eight-room house on 44 acres, plenty of room to expand. And she had inherited $20 million. Now, in the 1800s, My 20, God. Yeah, a lot of bucks. Right, right. Uh, and she also had uh, a big stake in the uh, rifle company. So she commenced this endless construction, adding on to the house. And she had no master plan. Uh, she wanted it all Victorian, all the finest materials. 
And because she had no master plan, the house started looking rather crazy. Uh, there were rooms that tilted at odd angles, elevators that went nowhere, staircases that went nowhere, doors that opened onto walls, um, and all kinds of secret rooms and maze-like passageways through this house. So um, this went on throughout her entire life until she died. And she claims never to have been troubled uh, by the spirits. Uh, she had a, uh, a secret room called the Blue Seance Room. And she was the only one who was permitted to enter this room. And it was said that um, many nights at midnight, she would go into the seance room and summon uh, the spirits uh, of the dead who were around her by tolling a bell and conduct a seance with them. She also held dinner parties for them. She was obsessed by the number 13, so a lot of things in the house had to have 13 uh, window panes, 13 wall sconces, 13 this or that. So she had 13 seatings at her dinner party, and it was for her and 12 ghosts. Uh, and uh, people said, uh, people who lived in the vicinity said they could hear odd noises coming from the house late at night. Uh, organ music when there was no organ in the house, um, and things like that. She would not allow people to visit. Teddy Roosevelt wanted to come and visit, and she turned him away, saying the house was not open. So uh, this construction went on then until she died at age 82. That was in 1922, and then it stopped. Now, by then, um, she, had, oh, and she had extensive gardens as well. Uh, by then, she had uh, 160 rooms added oh, to this my. house, 47 what? fireplaces, 2,000 doors, 40 staircases, and all of these little uh, secret rooms that uh, people had to discover later. So the house today is a historic place, as you can imagine. Uh, it's filled mostly with residual phenomena. That is, uh, there was a piano in the house. People can hear phantom piano music, footsteps. People see apparitions. Uh, to my knowledge, there aren't any seances that are conducted there anymore. Uh, for a long time, the uh, governing body of the Winchester House would not allow paranormal investigators to come in, but they have in recent years, and uh, people have collected interesting evidence, photographic and, and audio evidence. Uh, I've never investigated there. I visited there during the day, and there is a very strange vibe to this place, as you can imagine. Uh, here's a woman who is saturated uh, in the spirit world. She literally lived with one foot in the spirit world. And uh, keeping the spirit world appeased and at bay was her, her whole focus in life. Uh, and you can feel that in the house. So uh, that also is definitely worth a visit. The Winchester Mystery House, and that's in, uh, in California. Santa Clara Valley. Santa Clara Valley. All right. So now we're going to head up the West Coast to the Seattle Underground. Well, this is near and dear to my heart because Seattle is where I grew up and I consider it my hometown. And a lot of people don't realize that Seattle actually has an underground city and it is very haunted. Now, when Seattle was founded, um, it was uh, it's, it's on Puget Sound. 
And it was located on a tidal flat, a really bad location. And when the high tides would come in, and especially if there had been a lot of rain, a lot of the downtown streets would flood with water and mud. And in fact, it was said that um, the water could be so deep it could swallow up small children and dogs. Uh, hardly a way to, to run uh, a prosperous city, but that's, that's the way Seattle operated. And then in 1889, there was a great fire that destroyed much of the downtown. And so the city officials took this as an opportunity to get rid of this tidal water problem. And they literally raised the street level by eight feet. They uh, erected uh, pylons, log pylons, and a wall around a 25-block area and literally rebuilt a new street level up over the old buildings, uh, which then went into decay. And that's Seattle's underground, which can be accessed through uh, a number of, of locations. Now, some of it's off-limits because it's quite hazardous and not safe, but there are uh, ghost tours that can be taken at night uh, through these haunted parts of the underground, and they're they're loaded with residual phenomena and ghosts. Some of the ghosts are interactive. Uh, for example, there's a, uh, still a, a bank with its old bank vault door, and there's a bank teller that uh, seems to like to pull people's jackets and hair. Um, people have heard disembodied voices. There are brothels down there, barber shops, retail shops, uh, all, all the kinds of things that you could imagine would be in a city. Right. The ruins of them are still down there, original wallpaper. And you can trace your way through a maze through uh, the underground and see some of these original locations. Uh, people have captured all kinds of evidence, photographic and EVP down there. Um, my favorite ghost tour is run by uh, Spooked in Seattle. Uh, there's another one called Spidel, uh, Bill Spidel Tours as well that's also very popular. And uh, Seattle is um, uh, definitely a city worth visiting. It's quite a tourist destination. This is down in the, it's called the old Pioneer uh, Square area, uh, which... Um, uh, for a long time, was a very rundown area full of derelicts, and now it's gone through kind of a renovation. But it's in the oldest part of the city, and uh, a lot of people don't realize that when they're walking around on the sidewalks downtown, they're literally walking over the building graves of the old town. Wow! Uh, and how many city blocks would it be uh, underground that still that are still sort of uh, you know navigable? Um, I'm not sure how many of, of the 25 square blocks that were uh, damaged by a fire. I'm not sure how many are accessible by the tour, by the tours. Um, and they're they're in different parts too. Like if you if you take different tours, you're you're not going to go to the same parts of the underground because they all have their own particular areas. Right, right. Wow. Uh, that's, uh, that's something I've got to do. I've been to Seattle, but I didn't get down under, under the ground. Uh, now, we are going to take a, a, a time out. When we come back, uh, Rosemary, Fate Presents, you've got another 
a fantastic book that you've edited and compiled and you've combed through uh, the many, many issues of Fate magazine that all relate to Bigfoot. Planet Bigfoot is next with Rosemary Guiley right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Owen Wolf is our technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. However, there is no live stream tonight. The audio from this radio transmission will be available on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet, in a few short days. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our resident paranormal investigator, researcher, best-selling author of over 70 books, will be here in hour two. She's compiled and edited a brand new book, a collection of articles from Fate magazine, and it's called Fate Presents Planet Bigfoot. And she'll also complete a a list that she started last month on America's most haunted locations. She has three more must-see places for our paranormal road trip. This hour, Sloane Bella is here to talk about satanic influences in Hollywood, where she lives and works as a psychic medium and astrologer to the stars. Sloane has always been connected to the other side, And one of the most unusual connections was her mediumship communication with the late Jimi Hendrix, who guided her and aided her work on the streets of Toronto and Hollywood as a street psychic with intuitive guidance to runaway and sexually exploited children. To this day, Sloan is still reading for people from every walk of life and for rock and roll Hall of Fame musicians who've relied on her medical intuitiveness along with intuitive guidance in every area of their lives. Sloan is a published author and former newspaper stringer writer on metaphysics. Sloan Bella, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm good, Richard. How are you? I'm I'm busy, but I'm a good busy. So you're out there in Hollywood. How is, I mean, yeah. you and I have talked about this uh, on my podcast, not on the, on the radio show. And I wanted to revisit this with you because I, I talked to Roseanne Barr once on, on the program about, uh, mind control in, in Hollywood. And she, she kind of had to be careful. I, I sensed that she was kind of skating around it very mm-hmm. gingerly, but. Not so with you when we talked. I mean, you just flat out said it. You know, you talked about oh. the the satanic cults and the Illuminati in Hollywood. I mean, you've seen it, right? 
Yeah, no, I've seen it. And it's, it's actually, the veil is lifting. I call it the veil. There's a perception in the world that we live in about how the world is. And we all have it. We're going to have kids. We're going to get married. We'll fall in love. We'll go to school. We'll go to college. You know, we'll have a nice family to a dog and car and house kind of thing. But it's not the way the world is here because for some reason, energetically, and I, I can't explain why, but in order for anybody to reach the level of fame of, say, uh, a Britney Spears, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, whoever is famous, an Ariana Grande, any of these people, you are going to have to, they're not going to give it to you based on talent, based on anything. It's going to come to you because you agree to do what they want you to do. And it's really, it's really a disguise in order to manipulate people that watch movies and listen to music and to take, take the person's money. So it becomes servitude for the performers and the entertainers. Let's say you're have a beautiful voice. You sell it. People like you, you're an opera singer, let's say. So you have a really finely trained voice. They actually believe that they own your voice and you as the vehicle. And if you don't fall in line, then you're basically removed from being able to do what you were born to do. So it's a spiritual war underneath on top of it. And a lot of these celebrities partake in it. Like it's, it's Luciferianism or satanic ritual and worship, if you want to say it that way. Well, I mean, I get the, you know, you, we made you, you know, we put this star making machine behind you. So we own you. We tell you where to stand, mm -hmm. what to sing, how to, how to dress, how to talk, who to date and so forth. But when you say that there's something beyond that, now we're talking about the spiritual and then we get into this whole discussion, which has become, you know, this legend, uh, you know, he sold his soul to the devil. He sold his soul for rock and roll. Are you flat mm -hmm. out? Are you flat out saying that there that there is that bargain with Satan? I absolutely know there's that bargain because I have one child that has a friend who has told him that's the bargain he made, and that person happens to be very famous right now on the way up, making you know millions. And this is a kid that went to high school with my son, and not necessarily particularly talented, but is on tour all over the world. Um, it's a rap band. This is a rap band. Anyway, one of the members of said rap band actually told my son that, and my son said, I don't know if I believe him or not, but he said it, so I'm going to take him at his word on that. Problem is, the kid didn't believe it when he did it, okay? So when I'm talking about it, these kids don't believe what they're doing will really give Satan control over them, and that's actually kind of accurate in that we are all of we are all God's children. However, on earth, this is Satan's part of the part of the universe. So while you're here, guess who has control here? So if you invite him in, then you will be taken over by him. That's kind of how it works. They can't just come in and take you for no reason. So if you're praying to God or or whichever your God is, just put it in terms of whichever religion you follow and or however you want to word that, if you actually practice that in its sincerity and with faith, nothing can happen to you. It's the people who don't believe it's real and say, okay, well, I'm just going to do this because, you know, if I can get famous, who cares? It's not real. I believe in God. Then suddenly they find themselves on the other end where they owe. And I think Roseanne Barr, I believe I just, you mentioned Roseanne Barr. That's why I just went to her. Um, I, I believe she just did an interview where she said in high school, she made a pact with the devil to be famous. 
And look what's happened to her. I mean, I'm not saying she does not have to go to hell. That's not what I mean. I just mean that that came out of her mouth. So somewhere along the line, she believed that that's what she needed to do to get where she needed to get. And she actually took action towards making that happen. So once you invite that in, you invite that in. And then you've got Justin Bieber. You, I don't know if I mentioned this last time. You know, when he went bananas and stopped singing and got depressed and went to the church and all of that, he basically said, now they've scrubbed the internet pretty clean, but he basically said they wanted me, the music record executives wanted me to partake in the ritualistic abuse sexually and otherwise of a small child. And he basically had a nervous breakdown. He's not been right since, right? He said that in an interview? He he, did it. So you can find it. I'll have to Google it and find it. It was scrubbed back when it came out. It was sent to me. Um, Yeah, that's what he said in an interview. He said it in a discussion and then he gave up touring like he's like, I'm not going to tour anymore. And then suddenly he married Haley Baldwin. Now, they're probably his handlers, the Baldwin family. Um, He went to the church, you know, that church he went to down here. It was all in the media. And now he's seen crying and depressed all over the place because he's having a malfunction because he actually realized what he's involved in. But he did say it. I mean, if you look up Justin Bieber and satanic, um, satanic ritual record executives, I don't know who and where and what, but absolutely. And I'll tell you another thing, and I, I'm, I'm comfortable saying this, but I had another very famous music client, um, Ariana Grande, a few years back. Uh, she was a client of mine and she spoke openly to me about the demons that followed her home. And she felt it was from a visit at a graveyard. You know, that's what she equated it with because there was somewhere where they were visiting in the Midwest where she was in and around a graveyard for some reason and maybe visiting, maybe looking, whatever. And she couldn't shake the demons, but we had long conversation about the demons that were around her. And that's her words, not mine. Hmm. So, it, I mean, I was the beginning of them coming for her talent because on earth they want to harness the energy. It's energy vampirism really at the core of what it is on a spiritual level. And then human beings think of it in terms of money, wealth, fame, and success. That's actually how we, we um, approach it, obviously, because we live here, right? And you need money to buy food and pay for your kids and stuff like that. So that's how we see it. But the spirits, remember, we as human beings are creative. We can, you have a radio show, your mind's quick, you can think of things, you're educated, you research. I have my psychic business, I do astrology, I have a mind that works like this. They want that energy because they don't, they don't have it. So what better way to get it than to step into our energy fields by tricking us? And that's what's go- that's what I'm meditating and have been told and shown is going on. But it's spiritually conceptual to begin with, and then it becomes, in the most literal sense, what we do on earth here, our day-to-day life, that you live in it. So it's kind of, it's very, very interesting. Right. Very interesting. Well, you also, when we talked before, you pointed something out, and I quickly jumped on YouTube to check it out. And of course, it was true. You said it was, and I believed you, but I wanted to see it. And this was Lady Gaga (laughs) on uh, on The Tonight Show with Jimmy, no, it wasn't, it was Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel, Lady yes. Gaga on Jimmy Kimmel. Just tell the tell the listeners what what she said. Oh Jim- my gosh! It, it, okay, so Jimmy Kimmel is talking about her going on tour and what it's like in the kitchen and getting ready and on the tour bus. I believe I think that's what it was. And she turns around and she says, 
whatever he said, he goes, sometimes she said, sometimes I get so mad. I swear to Lucifer. And I, cause you know, we say we swear to God right? because we are of God. This one's saying, I swear to Lucifer. And Jimmy Kimball goes right on and asks her what she cooks in the kitchen or something or what right, they right. do in the kitchen of the bus. And I'm like, did you not hear what she just said? Did you, now, did you well, not hear it? <laughs> well, is it possible that she was just having him on and playing a part or, I mean, have you heard something else about oh. Lady Gaga? Oh, no, no. I absolutely, you can look at her, look at her. She has many, many, many references in her, when she comes out on stage and the way people are enamored with her, the way that she speaks to them. And then when you look at her, if you actually take the time, forget the fame, forget the money, forget the, the, you know, whatever packaging she has and actually look in her eyes and watch when she's speaking, you'll begin to be able to see it. It's a look and it's not the right look because Lady Gaga has stepped aside. And remember, I didn't believe it at the time. I used to have one of her record executives as a client came to me. It had to be when I had my braces on. That's so weird. So like around 2009 or 10, when I had to redo them, you know how the braces things go. But anyway, um, that's how I'm remembering when it was because I only had them in that short period of time as an adult. But Um, he came to me and she hit such a pinnacle of fame. And I remember him being in awe of her. And I thought it was very strange the way he spoke about her, like she was magical. And then I remembered an interview from the mother of her roommate. I believe it was a roommate saying that her roommate died, killed herself and that Lady Gaga had stolen all of her music. And that is very, very similar to what Prince did to his father. So these people are taking energy through creative endeavors and utilizing it, basically consuming it and, and hiding behind it. That tells you that they've done something. There's a, there's a, a presence that is not human connected either within the art energy field or actually has stepped into them and pushed them out, pushed them out of the physical. That is the problem. That's what they tell me on the other side. When I'm, when I'm actually asking for the information, if you agree to do something, that you know is not right, such as go along with Satan, then you are basically as a human being pushed outside of your body, whatever that means. And what happens to you? Where do you go? Are you some some sort of limbo or or prison on an astral plane? Well, it's interesting because I had a girlfriend. I have a girl, not a a lover girlfriend, a female friend, sorry. (laughs) I got to go to the sordid details over there. But anyway, she's (laughs) a female friend. And um, she's a, a, one of the best psychics I know, probably the best one I know, very talented, but very hard to get her grounded in reality on earth because it, she's so much on the other side. And Napoleon came through to her. This is a couple of years ago. And that's very weird because she doesn't have any connection to him at all. And she was basically shown that he was in a cage on the other side. So that's a good, good hit that you have there. He was basically caged. And from what she could gather, he was put there because he agreed to do something he knew better. And so he was basically removed. The essence of his soul was removed and he was kept. Now, I don't know who's keeping him there. I don't know if it's the God force that keeps him there or if it's actually, a, you know, the, the demon energy or, or the negative energy or the, the alien energy that took him out of his body. Because, But see, they can't get in unless we agree. So that's what your listeners have to remember. You, you, nothing can take you over without your acceptance. They don't have that kind of power here. That's what I've been told. 
So I'm not saying they can't trick you and I'm not saying they can't make you afraid or, you know, like the exorcist terrify you, but they cannot get into you without you opening your front door, meaning allowing the energy in. Right. And, and in order to succeed, I mean, there are exceptions, of course, in, in, and I'm guessing in Hollywood, I'm, I'm thinking there are some, some genuinely, you know, God loving oh. people who make yeah. it very big in Hollywood. They, there, there are, but when they hit, um, to, when they hit, I don't know what you consider successful. I mean, they could be millionaires, but there's another level. Like what Justin Bieber had said is that, you know how famous he was, right? Like, yes. Or is, or whatever. Like he's a million, multimillionaire many times over. Um, little Canadian, so we like him. But anyway, little Canadian boy, all of that. But he said he wanted to go to the next level like Jay-Z, and that's where they put their foot down. He was not going to be able to be a businessman unless a businessman like Jay-Z, which tells you something about Jay-Z, okay, follow that line of thinking, and his wife, um, they extend it to the next level and you will not get to that next level without it. I'm convinced of that. So anybody that I see now, and I, I do mingle with them. I mean, I end up at parties, I end up here, there and everywhere with people like that, people in, in the entertainment industry and some very, very famous people and they appear normal and they are normal, but I'll give you a hint as to how you can tell that they've kind of sold out if you, because I'm invited to house parties as entertainment, as psychic entertainment that does go on in Los Angeles. They hire psychics for parties all the time. And so, um, when you go into the houses of these people and I'm speaking in particular, I have a client who's from Mexico city, husband's a billionaire, looks like a great man on the outside, cute little kids, right? Nice family, you know, nice family pictures. You show up at a party, you know what's going on in there. Like you can see through the decor of the house, but it's very much hidden. It's literally hidden in plain sight. Like you would have to go up and start looking and then you'd be like, why is that there? Like I was at one party and I was sitting on the couch and the client, the, the clients, the party goers were coming to me, you know, and they had a person at the door and every 15 minutes, another person would come and then I would read them. And then that's how it works at a party for me anyway, when there's a lot of people. And suddenly I'm with one of the party guests and we look down and it's a beautifully furnished house. Okay. We look down on the floor and they've actually got women's body parts strewn out on the rug on the floor that I'm sitting on. Images of images of women's body parts. Yes. On the rug. But you actually had to look at it like the girl noticed it. I didn't. The girl I was reading, she's like, oh, my God, is that a woman's blankety blank? And I'm like, holy, yes, it is. (laughs) What about nothing so overt as like a pentagram or an image of, you know, the the goat's head, like the Baphomet or anything like that? Oh, well, you definitely see that. Yeah, you do see that. Um, That's more along the lines. I'll give you a little bit of a hint. When you go to certain tattooer people's houses and things like this that are well known in the industry, you may see that. You probably will see that actually. So um, it depends. If they look gothic on the outside, you're going to see that in in their environment, in their home. And then other times you're going to see beautifully decorated homes. And then you're going to look at maybe a curtain or an object on a desk and you will notice it from that way. But usually these things go on in back rooms, at certain parties, in you know certain areas. And it's not it's not like overt because they don't necessarily want you 
to know that. And did I tell you what did uh, you just made me think of this? Did I tell you what Christmas um, I went to see a certain heavy metal concert? Did I tell you that? No, no. Oh, okay. So I went to see, I was invited, you know, my husband and I, New Year's Eve, Ozzy. Um, my friend Zach plays, actually his wife's my friend, but he is now my friend, plays Ozzy's guitarist. Anyway, we were invited to the New Year's Eve. And I have a couple of other clients that were on that roster. Um, one of them was um, Horn, the lead, you know, the lead singer, his wife passed away. And so some of his family members were clients and he was the first band to open. And then there was you know, Ozzy comes on obviously at midnight, right? But the the lead singer of Corn, his the the mother of his kids was found murdered, and that's how I became acquainted with that family um, through a mutual friend of ours, acquaintance, the same girl that introduced me to Anna Nicole Smith. Actually, is she's a very well known hairdresser in town. Anyway, that's how I became acquainted with the family over there, and she ended up passed away this past summer. His his kid's mom he wasn't with her but the kid's mom was anyway he was the band opener and there were several bands in between in between this and between when ozzy went on and i happened to watch because i've never watched marilyn manson now i know the stick that he does where he says he's a satanist i thought okay he's probably just being you know a whatever like he's just being a freak right right um no i have it on video i'll have to shoot you the little video i instagrammed it he had the audience of which I was in because I went front stage chanting. One of his songs says, you say God, I say Satan, 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 Satan. So he's got the audience standing up. It's just our little group of people that went to see Ozzy that is like looking horrified from the audience. And they're all chanting Satan. The whole oh, Staples Lord. Center is, that's what I'm saying. I had a huge cross on. So I'm saying God, God, God out in the audience like a dum-dum, but I'm saying it. Um, and my husband's like, maybe you should sit down. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to sit down. And he's like, all right, have at it. So we, But then when we went backstage, because we go to see my friend took us backstage, and we go to see backstage, right? And he's getting off stage. I'm talking about Marilyn Manson. And it was obvious that he was not grounded in his body. So they do something or when they're performing, because I watched him walk down the stairs and he was not in his body. And then going down the hallway, he seemed to return to his body. That's from my vantage point. Me, me looking at him as a psychic person. Fascinating. Listen, um, I've, I've got to jump yeah, in here, totally. Sloan. We're going to take a time out when we come back. Yes. I've got to ask you how you, how you function in Hollywood. I mean, how, how do you stay there and live there and, and work <laughs> there? Uh, you're like, you're exactly. literally in the belly of the beast. We will uh, return my conversation with psychic to the stars, medium, astrologer, YouTuber, Sloan Bella, right here on the conspiracy show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. So when uh, last we spoke with Sloan, Bella, she was backstage at an Ozzy Osbourne concert and um, Marilyn Manson uh, was leading the uh, those assembled at the uh, Staples Center they were chanting about Satan. Yeah, that was something to do with it. So I don't listen to his music and I'd never seen him. So I'm like, I want to go see what all this fuss is about, obviously. Right. Did he see the crucifix I mean, I, around your neck? Did he? 
Uh, he- I'm sure I'm sure he did. But the funniest thing, I'm sure he did. I had a big one that I was wearing. I had actually three on. I have the one I wear all the time. My favorite little, you know, little normal day life one that I never take off. And then I had more of a costume one on and another one. <laughs> so um, plus I had a bunch of oils on me and crystals and, you know, I was it's like, the whole time I was it's like you have there. to do you have to do that i mean it's like you have to put on this suit of of spiritual armor every time you leave your house because you're out amongst well, all of that you know it's we are truly in a beast system meaning it's a it's a it's a luciferian city town here so the answer to that is yes but you know i i did ask my psychic friend i'll name her deanna anyway i did ask deanna like why did I run across this because I'm not this? So, because at first I was beginning to think that maybe I was in denial and there was something wrong with me that I would be putting myself in this position, continue to be here. I do think there's something wrong with me, but aside from that, in all seriousness, I was wondering that. And both my friend and my husband said to me, no, no, you don't understand. The balance has to exist. So when the dark comes, the balance will send the opposite into the same space so that the challenge continues. In other words, it's always a balance on earth. So you're going to have um, dark and light amongst each other or good and bad or happy, sad, however you want to word it, amongst each other, the light, the dark, because it's a balance. So this earth is a, is a, it's a polarity of opposites. So when people are behaving too, whatever, beastly, then they're going to send other people into that group who are not. And so the balance exists. And then the energy goes on underneath the scenes. And it's kind of a spiritual battle without it actually being acknowledged outwardly. That's how it works. Do you feel like a spiritual warrior? Oh, I I know that's what I am now. I know that now. I know that. Yeah, I feel like it is very much a spiritual war. You have children. Mm -hmm. When you send your children to school, and you know, they come home or, or they hit you know, puberty, and they start telling you, everybody smokes pot, everybody does drugs, everybody does this. That is the first spiritual battle, because that is how the negative energy enters the human body is through drugs and alcohol. As soon as they legalize all that, people are insane. You've got to ask yourself why, because it's an easy doorway in, you don't have any any filter anymore. So that's the first war that all parents fight for the protection of their children is to encourage them not to do that. Most parents lose for some point in time, and then most people will come out of it. But that's the first battle that begins right there, right there with your kids. And you can understand, you appreciate that, right? Like, you know how kids oh, are yes. in public. Well, that's yeah, why, that's, that's why we homeschool <laughs> there. You know, if, if I'd have had your patience, I'd have done it, but I'd probably <laughs> killed my kids. You know, like they used to annoy me so much. I'd be like, Oh God. Um, you know, and then we'd have gone off to get Starbucks or something. So yeah, there'd be no learning over here. <laughs> Mother of the year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, no, <laughs> I'm kind of ADD. So I'd have been like, let's go hiking. Let's go get coffee. Let's get ice cream. Let's go to the zoo. But there'd be no lesson. Keep that very clear. <laughs> oh, there are always lessons, even at Starbucks, even at yeah, Starbucks. Exactly. But, uh, in, in, I mean, in all, exactly. in all seriousness, so, I mean, have you, has your career then, I mean, you, I know you've done television, but yep. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling tales out of school here. You're not in that stratosphere Sloan. You're not, no. you know, a, a multimillionaire. So oh, was, God, the, no. <laughs> was the offer made and you refused? No, you know, weirdly enough, the offer, <laughs> the offer has not been made to me personally. So, um, I 
think for some reason I get pushed only so far and then something happens in my personal life to make me think differently or go down a different path. So I've been actually very lucky to walk the middle ground is how I word it because I have done a lot of TV, but I'm not famous, but I'm known, but I'm not known. <laughs> so it's kind of schizophrenic. But I, I, I have turned down TV shows because they wanted to script them and they wanted to control me. And I have turned them down due to licensing rights. And, you know, who's going to have ownership over what comes out of my mouth? Yes, I have turned them down for that. However, that wasn't necessarily satanic. But here's an interesting thing. If I was just looking at old contracts that were sent to me, and if you look at it, it says your, some of them say your works and creations, however that's worded in the contract, will be ours and we will get a cut of it into perpetuity. Yes. For forever. Yeah, I don't think I'm signing that. Like, <laughs> I, I know I'm not signing that. Like, it, it be, it's a bone of contention, you know, but I am a rebellious, freedom seeking person and they can go, you know, middle finger, go somewhere else. So I have turned it down for that reason. And I actually, have turned down other things when they've asked me to deliberately deceive the people on camera. So they want me to come in and do a show and they don't want me to be me. They want me to pretend to be something else or to speak in a different way. And I'm not willing to do that. Like I'm just not willing to do it. So it's either stubbornness or stupidity or whatever, but I've managed to kind of walk the middle ground and maintain friendships or acquaintanceships with people on both sides without feeling pulled to do either or, and I'm treated pretty well. So meaning I'm, I'm no one's tried to like actually come in here and kill me or run me over or anything like that. So it, it, it goes pretty well and they can't hurt you if you don't agree. I mean, I guess they could technically, but they really, they're not going to bother because you haven't even agreed to do it, but I see what's going on. And a lot of them know that I see, and if I'm in a public setting, I tend to just step back and observe. I don't really say, and I don't really, I mean, I haven't seen anything, you know, atrocious. Okay. Cause then I would step in and stop it. Whatever. Right. If there was abuses, they, I'm not afraid to do that at all. But if you've but been, I have, haven't, have you ever been standing beside someone at a Hollywood party? It could be an A-list actor or a director and they just, you, your, your psychic senses were tingling. They just, they just oozed like evil. Oh gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. There's certain people I can't stand. You, you say a polite hello, but yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes. People I absolutely hate. Like I'd use the word hate, although I don't know them personally enough to actually use that word with them. But yeah, there's there's people I can't stand. And weirdly, I will tell you one person, he's deceased. Now I'm speaking of the dead, ill of the dead, but I don't even mean it that way. I did a game show. Oh my gosh, it had to be in 90, early 2000s wherever. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a game show. And, uh, one of my best friends had me on and it's like, which best friend knows the other best friend? Well, like the, you know, private stuff, right, you, right. you know, out of three people and then you win a prize. So anyway, she had me come on and there was three of us girls and her and her husband and Alan Thicke was the host of it. Mm. And I did not like him. I came out of there. I'm like, I hate that guy. And, and he's Canadian, so I feel I can speak about this, but there was, <laughs> but well, I mean, being, someone being obnoxious is one thing, but I mean, like you, 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 no, you, you look I into their soul, you look into their soul yes, and it's like, whoa, that's what I'm saying to you. I telling you, Alan Thicke was not good. Oh, that's what I'm saying. He, he was not rude to me. He was not rude to me or anything. I mean, he was completely professional. He was very professional. I did not like him. 
Like my body repelled him. I did not like him. Just a bad and vibe. I, I, okay. Very bad vibe. And and I didn't at the time I felt like it might have been medication or something. I mean, he did his job perfectly. There was nothing wrong with what he did, but I did not like him. Like I went I got in the car after I'm like, I do not like that guy. Hmm. I and I didn't even know him. And it's not that I didn't like him. I thought he was attractive. I he was Canadian. Those are all things I would like. You know, he had a hit TV show, all great, but I didn't like him. But yeah, there's been, there's been people and there's been people. Um, and I will tell you this from the management side. I went to a, I was sent into a management meeting with a very prominent manager at one of the companies. And when I walked in the door and I met with him, okay. Um, one of the network executives had sent me over to meet with him. When I met with him, I instinctually knew I'd gotten, gotten in over my head. How do you, how do you mean? How do you mean? I, I felt like I was going to go and open a can of worms. Like there were rattlesnakes in the room. And that was the exact impression I got is like, there was a room full of rattlesnakes and I was going to have to produce something. And then they were going to like rattle around me so that I couldn't move. And I remember listening to what he wanted to do to further my career and how we were going to do that. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I remember just agreeing. And then I never called back. Like I literally never showed up for the next meeting. I had that kind and, and, he could have put me in a position which would have elevated my career to some degree. I don't know how far it would have gone per se, but it would have elevated it to a degree. Just again, but you no, had a really bad vibe. Very bad vibe. Very, very bad vibe. Like I was like, I'm in a den of rattlesnakes. That's exactly what went through my, like when I walked in his office, I saw snakes. I saw myself in the desert with rattlesnakes around my feet with their little rattles hissing at me. Like, like watch it. You're going to get bit. That's exactly what went through my well, head. You got to listen to those voices. And, and I'm sure, <laughs> yes. you know, you grew up on the street in uh, in Toronto. Uh, and I'm sure that inner voice saved your life on uh, on occasion. Uh, on a lot of occasions. I'll yeah. bet. We're going to take a, a, a time out when we come back. We want, I want to talk about your uh, your very successful YouTube channel when, and uh, find out how people can <laughs> uh, um, um, find that YouTube channel. And then I also want to talk about some of the people that you've been channeling lately, including yes. Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington and and um, uh, some others. We'll, we'll do that when we come back. Sloan Bella, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She has a brand new book out, Fate Presents Planet Bigfoot, edited and compiled by Rosemary. And she'll be here uh, just after the top of the hour. Sloan Bella, uh, tell us about your YouTube channel. I mean, this thing just suddenly exploded. What's going on? Yeah, I, well, to tell you the truth with it, I, I had it for a long time putting up stuff and never participated with it. So there was like an old Montel video or whatever up there. And I never paid any attention. And then just prior to Christmas, probably maybe November, December, uh, Princess Diana popped into my head. And I thought, I think I'm going to do a channeling video on her. It's not, I'm not a royal watcher. I don't, don't really care. But she popped into my head. And for like four days, I was obsessed with it. So I put it up. And then people started watching didn't think much of it. So I put up astrology videos, crystal videos, you know, teaching you which crystals for what and your sign. And, and in January, I woke up one morning and I literally heard in my head, you need to start talking about the kids 
the kids, kids, okay? Kids in society, what's happening to kids. And so I thought, well, I'm going to start channeling these people. And it turns out the people that I'm channeling are all connected to the kid thing. And so the only thing I can think of is the other side wants is is helping people along with a message that they want out there, which is about the kids. That's all I can think of. Okay, so when you say the kid thing, you're talking about, let's say it, ped- pedophile rings, right? A pedophile rings, satanic pedophile rings, child trafficking, that these celebrity people that have been murdered, actually, um, that's through the channeling. Can I prove it? No. Uh, however, a lot of people are in agreement with it, so it's not just me being a kook. Um, but yeah, it's it's happening through that. It's happening in such a broad sense. And I became obsessed, just obsessed with finding out who is orchestrating this. So many people are connected through a thread of common commonality connected to people and children that are missing. But what I understood from it, and it was the Madeline, is it Madeline McCann? I can never say her name right. Madeline McCann, Madeline McCann that went missing the little girl in Portugal. Oh yes. When when I channeled her, now I did it very differently because there's a lot of information on her and I didn't necessarily want to intrude because if I'm wrong, I'm doing damage to a family, so to speak. And that's rude. That's not right either. But as I was, I took like a week time frame and I went running and I asked her to come through or to show me something or somebody to show me something. And I kind of just gathered the information that I got over a week's time frame. And what she showed me is she was actually bred. So her parents made her or had her or created her, not just out of sex or love or marriage or any of that, but actually in order to further themselves in their, quote, religion and they they basically gave their child away. Like she showed me what happened with that, and that it wasn't that uncom. It's not that uncommon. Like very strange. But what she is, and I will tell your listeners this, which was really interesting to know because I felt actually sick to my stomach. Stomach. What she described to me as best as I could describe it on my video. Okay, so I tried the best I could to understand it, and I can get things wrong. So psychics are not a hundred percent. We can interpret things in, incorrectly, et cetera. But what I did get, which was really interesting, is she showed me how she's crossing her job now, and she is deceased, is to cross other little kids over that have experienced the same fate as her. So she's basically protecting the souls on the other side till they can go where it is they're going. So they meet, She she's actually crossing them over, like as they are in the middle of being tormented on earth, She's helping them in a spiritual sense cross over and protecting them as they go on their journey. Right, right. That's what she showed me. It was really interesting, you know, because I wouldn't have thought that about her, but that's what she showed me. You you um, mentioned so, uh, several uh, singers that you had channeled yes. uh, that were all investigating uh, these pedophile rings, all ended up uh, dead, but supposedly by their own hand. And I'm talking about Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington from Lincoln Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park. And mm-hmm. um and, and Mac Miller. Uh they all yeah. died sort of very close together, all supposedly well, one was a drug overdose, one was I think Dose, the other right. two the other two were suicides. But you're saying they yes. were you, you believe they were all murdered. Oh, Chester is on point with that. Um I of course literally did get a call from a friend of Chris Cornell's the day the probably two days after he died and asked me what happened. 
the first word out of my mouth was pedophile. And I had no idea why I said that. Okay. At first I thought I was saying it as in he was a pedophile. Like it horrified me that I actually said that out of my mouth. I had no idea why I said it. Long story short, I became obsessed with it. So I started to just focus on it, focus on it. Chris carries a lot of shame with him. So there are certain elements of Chris's personality that are more cloaked in shame. But he literally told me, and this, I put it on a video. I put it out there. Just hold on. I'm going to, we'll do a cliffhanger here. uh, We're going to pick up on this, pick on this, pick up on this on the other side. Cliffhanger, (laughs) cliffhanger. All right. Back with more in a moment. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.